This is the Reading Teacher's Lounge, where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. Hey teachers, Shannon here. Have you had a chance to check out that Booker class app I was telling you about? It's got super engaging multi-sensory animated stories with follow-up reading response activities too. Right now they're having a special 70% off for a full year promotion. Check it out in our show notes links if you want to get a chance to use this rare price discount. Remember Booker class was designed by teachers for teachers to have interactive storytelling of classics and modern stories for their students. It was created to help language comprehension and reading engagement. The annual 70% off offer won't last much longer, so check out the link in our show notes soon to learn more about the special promotion from Booker Class App. Hi, Mary, and hello to our guest. Welcome to the Reading Teacher's Lounge. We have another special guest with us for this episode. It is Heidi Martin. You might better know her as Learning with Heidi or Dropping Knowledge with Heidi or Heidi with Literacy and Justice for All. We are so happy to have you with us. Thank you. Yay, Heidi, welcome. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And we're gonna talk about the science of reading today because we found you on TikTok and Instagram as you shared your journey with learning about the science of reading. And so we thought you'd be a great guest to kick off our science of reading series of episodes and topics this season. Yeah, we can't wait to talk with you today. So let's just kick things off by um, having you tell us a little bit about yourself and some of the work you do. Like, what do you teach and how long have you been teaching? Sure. So I um, had taught first grade for nine years. And after learning so much about the science of reading, I decided to switch. And so this year I'm teaching um, kindergarten and 4k, we call it 4k here, um, virtually. And so I'm teaching both of those grades virtually. And I switched because um, I really wanted to be able to give those kids that foundation that I was able to give to my son, um, those early literacy foundations that I've learned about now. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. So, so 4k is kind of like a pre-k program. Is that right for four-year-olds? Yeah. So that's like our pre-kindergarten, I guess sometimes it's preschool or transitional kindergarten called other places, but yeah, it's 4k and we have, um, our whole state has 4k programs. Some are half days, some are all day. Um, mine's a virtual program. So it's just a little bit different. And what do you do before doing the 4K and K? I taught first grade for nine years. And I taught in the same district that I actually um, went to as a child. And I actually, um, when I left there, I left there um, 2020 after COVID, um, I was teaching at my elementary school where I went to school. So that was really, really fun. That's so special. I love that. It's really cute when you can kind of like give back to your community. Do you have um, parents that you can say something like, oh, I, you know, we went to school together or things like that? Oh, yeah, I did. I had a lot of parents that come in and um, that have, you know, grown up here too. Like, oh, you went to this school. I went to that school. And actually, it's funny when I did my student teaching, um, I student taught in kindergarten with my kindergarten teacher at that school in my kindergarten classroom. And then when I got hired at that school, um, my third grade teacher was still there. Um, and there was a couple other teachers that were still there from when I went to school there. And so it was, it's really nice. Yeah. It's good to have that community like that. You know, we're a family here. Everybody has been here for so long. It was very nice. So that's pretty rare in education. Well, so let's talk about how you were trained to teach reading. Was it, do you feel you were prepared to learn how to teach reading when you first started? Not at all. (laughs) Uh, Nobody told me anything. And, um, you know, teaching first grade, that's crucial. I I should have been taught 
uh, everything that we're going to talk about today, um, because that is a crucial age. And I feel that um, resources are uh, the school where I teach is a public school. And I feel like resources are always taken away instead of given. And I feel that uh, first grade need a, needs a lot more support than what we got. Um, and again, crucial age for learning how to read. And I just wasn't. I come from um, actually teaching is my second career. And so my undergrad is in sociology. I know you guys probably didn't even know that yet. <laughs> um, and then I, when I got my... Um, when I went to grad school, they didn't talk about it at all because they were giving certificates to, you know, people teaching pre-K through eighth grade. So it wasn't grade level specific. Um, and as we know, that's typical um, in the country. It's like less than half of teacher prep programs even talk about the science of reading. And then it's like 30 or 20% for grad programs. So um, I wasn't taught, um, I thought I was. Uh, I had training from Scholastic. I had actually the year of the pandemic, I was trained in reading recovery. I had a lot of trainings. Um, they just were missing some pieces that my kids really needed. When I said, um, when I got a job as a reading specialist, I'd been teaching for four years and I kind of thought I knew what I was doing, but really I just knew how to take a decent reader and help them read better. But I didn't know how to teach a non-reader how to read. For a long time. Yeah, same with me when I was, um, I trained as an L-Ed teacher. And so I taught kindergarten first and for two years and I was teaching and I thought what I thought I knew what I was, you know, getting myself into, but for some reason I'd keep teaching these letter sounds again and again. And the kids, there's a few kids that aren't picking up on it. And so I went in and I got my master's degree in special education. And I thought, now I know and I still didn't learn. <laughs> so I thought, oh, that's a lot of debt and I'm still working on it. And I was lucky enough to be trained in Orton-Gillingham through my district, which was really lucky. So I feel like I got a pretty good leg up on things in 2011. And now, you know, in 2021, 10 years later, we are finally really cracking through the ice, I think. And because social media and people like you who are just making these statements that people can finally um, kind of like, oh, I never thought to learn it that way. Or, oh, that's such a good point, especially because we're, we're just trying so hard to get through the day. Everything just seems so heavy <laughs> during these times. And I think teachers have constantly felt that way. But I'm really, I'm so impressed with the way that you can grab people's attention and help them learn and grasp onto more concepts so that they're curious and that they want to learn more. Thank you. That is definitely my goal. Uh, because, um, that's how I learn if somebody's talking, um, you know, I'm not, I don't have a PhD. I'm not a researcher. And if somebody's presenting some information in that way, I tend to tune out. I honestly, I do. And so I try to present information in the way that I learn, um, and just break it down. And I also really want it to be accessible to parents, um, who aren't teachers and don't have that teaching background. So that's really my goal. We try to do the same thing. We have a lot of parents who listen, including my sister, who uh, it helped her when she was understanding her son's reading difficulties. When I was mentally preparing for this episode, I was trying to think of like, when did science of reading start trending, you know, because we really have heard about it for the last few years. And I'm wondering if it's because of Emily Hanford's APM reports and those podcasts that went viral or some of the articles. Um, I don't know. How did you learn about science of reading? Oh yeah. So <laughs> it was completely on accident. Um, I told you I was just finishing. Actually, my husband is also an educator. Um, he uh, was in the reading recovery training with me uh, the year of the pandemic. So when the schools closed, we were finishing all of that up. And we were working at home with my son, who was four at the time. And um, he knew, like me and my husband were determined that he wasn't going to struggle to read because most of our kids, when they came into our classrooms, really struggled. And we were like, he's not going to. So he knew his letters and his sounds. And so 
my typical next step is like, okay, let me, I'm, I made this little book with CDC words and I was having him, you know, sound them out. And I literally remember this exact moment. I was working with him and my husband comes walking down the stairs. He goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, what? you know, and he said it in like that tone, like, what are you doing? Like I was doing something wrong. And I'm like, I'm teaching him how to read. I'm working with him. And he goes, he's not ready for that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And so my husband was in the military and then he moved here. And then he, um, so he had been teaching for like four less years than me. And he went to the same grad program that I did. And he also had a different undergrad degree. So teaching us his second career too. So I'm thinking like this guy, what are you talking about? You know, you don't know. And he started talking about all this phonological and phonemic awareness terms I had never heard as a first grade teacher teaching first grade for at at that time, eight years, never. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. So um, long story short, (laughs) a little shorter, I uh, started researching all of that to like prove him wrong. (laughs) I've been teaching longer than you. I know what I'm talking about. And then I remember literally quote, like quote unquote, telling him, if this was true, why didn't anybody tell me? I would have heard about this if this was true. I would have known this. I've been teaching for a long time. And, um, you know, after researching, I, I <laughs> he's right. You know, he won that, he won that one. He was right. Um, but that's really literally how I started learning about it. And then I went to social media because I had already had an Instagram at that time. And I had just got on TikTok because um, my daughter, I have an older daughter and she told me to, there was a teacher community there. And um, I was looking and really the only people at the time that were sharing were, were experts, like what I consider experts, reading specialists and um, SLPs and dyslexia specialists. And so I was, you know, thinking to myself, you know, where's the classroom teachers? I'm a class. I feel like I should have known about this as a classroom teacher. I felt really strongly that classroom teachers should also have this information and it shouldn't be specific to, you know, those specialty areas. Um, And also, you know, even talking about the reading specialists, like even at my school, the reading specialists were trained in, in reading recovery. So we weren't, you know, using the science, um, with, you know, even in their reading specialists weren't doing it. So, um, anyways, uh, and, and so then when I started with the social media, I would get questions and things like that. And I really learned along the way I would research and research so that I could answer people's questions. And so that, you know, my husband and I started talking about this a lot more too. And, um, he's learned a lot since then. Um, but a lot of what I had, initially started was just all research on my own (laughs) and trying to, you know, figure out what are those missing pieces and why didn't I, I know them. Why wasn't I taught about this? Many thanks to your husband. Yeah. That story is being right. Um, What sources did you go to? Like as you started that journey and started to learn. Google was your friend. Google's fantastic. And then, um, and then, you know, I came across Meredith creativity to the core, who was also just um, one of the very few classroom teachers transitioning. Also, she was big in balanced literacy, like I was we that's just what we knew. Um, And she was um, diving into the science of reading too. And um, she was ahead of me. So she'd say, Oh, Hey, grab this book or grab that book. Um, and so I started grabbing the books. Um, Equip for reading success was one of my first ones that I, I read and um, praise to David Kilpatrick. He's my man. Y'all know. <laughs> and I'm right there with you, Mary. Um, yes. I, I, have since seen him speak several times. And it's like, oh man, I just, everything he says makes so much sense. And I think I really, um, you know, am drawn to him because, you know, even though he's a professor and a researcher and all of that, he doesn't speak that way. I think that when he speaks it, you know, it makes it easy to understand. And that's what I said. My goal is also to present information and research in that way. And I think he does that well. Um, So I love learning from him. I totally agree. And that's, that's sort of our mission in this too, is like, when you're busy, and you're, you're doing 
all of the things, the thousands of tasks that teachers do on a daily basis and parents and teachers who are parents do on a, a daily basis, um, you, you have to be able to just like take it from right where you are and, you know, taking a breath and hearing people who are in similar situations doing things that are working, I think is really helpful and possible. And so that's, um, that's our goal with these conversations too. And I think so similarly with your husband's um, comment, you know, he just kind of asked the question, like, what are you doing? And, you know, I tend to tell all of my learners, and I think this is true for everyone, the smartest people ask the best questions. And so if you don't know the answer of why you're doing something, then maybe you need to kind of probe a little bit closer. And um, I'm always impressed with people who kind of just like take the bull by the horns and just kind of dig deep. And Shannon is totally one of those people too. And so I really admire that. I think it's hard work, but I also think that when you know better, you do better. And so, you know, um, yeah, just wanted to throw that out there. You're doing amazing things and we're happy to have you here. Thank you so much. So who else besides David Kilpatrick and Meredith did you learn from? Um, you know, in the beginning, it really was all on my own. It, a lot of it, it was really, um, I, I didn't know where to go. There wasn't, and I, you know, I did start following the accounts that were sharing, um, you know, a, a lot of things though, were like, you know, in those researcher terms, I'm like, what do they mean? And then I would look it up and try to break it down. Um, and then, and that's really what I was doing. And, and then I would start, you know, if there was a certain topic, I would Google it and find some research on it and then um, try to process all of that. I also did take some, uh, Amplify had some free um, courses, uh, really great reading had some free courses. Um, so I tried to find all of that really great reading actually um, was very helpful. And I actually, yeah, ended up talking with um, one of their trainers there and she helped me a lot too. Her name is Jen. Um, and she had just gotten on board with really great reading. And um, they also are really good at breaking things down. I think it's a great introduction. If anybody's looking for, you know, to get started in the science of reading, I always recommend that. Um, and so just things like that, just finding those things and then processing everything and then researching it again, <laughs> processing and, you know, sharing from there. I have to second that. I love the really great reading resources. I think that um, they are so accessible. I love some of their assessments that they have. It's really easy to kind of like pick and choose and you don't have to do the whole entire scope of that assessment if you're just looking to see, you know, oh, can I, I need to pull this student, but I need to see exactly what I'm looking at. I think it's phon phonological awareness. What area should I look at? And it's really easy to break it down then for parents. And I feel like they're really easy to give. So I have to second that as a resource. Heard um, it. I love each we have right. we bought yeah. HD Word from really great reading for my school, oh. which is their upper grade struggling readers curriculum. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Well, here's my next question because I know like getting started. So we're talking a little bit about getting started with the science of reading. I know one of the things that you talk a lot about with your TikTok users is um, changing the word wall to a sound wall. Was that one of the first things that you you did in your teaching practices or how did you kind of what was your first approach? The very first thing that I I did was really learn about phonological and phonemic awareness, um, because that was, again, the part that I um, didn't know. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not embarrassed to say that I've never heard those terms before because it's not my fault. So if there's other teachers out there that are like, you know, the same way, or sometimes people look at me like, how could you have never heard that? Well, I didn't, no one told me these things. And in all the trainings that I've ever been to, no one mentioned that. And it's, you know, and I, at, at first I was, I, I could, did feel a little bit embarrassed about it, but then, you know, after processing everything, it's like, that is not my fault. Um, you know, so that is really something that I, um, really dove into first because that was a missing piece for my struggling readers, for sure. It was always like just a secret for like kindergarten teachers, like they handled phonemic awareness and that's it. And I didn't discover that secret either until I was given the Dibbles assessments. And then I started giving the kindergarten Dibbles assessments to all of my struggling readers, including fourth and fifth graders and realized 
they could not phoneme segment. And now I know, you know, if anybody's going through this where they're, you know, they were all balanced literacy, everything, and then they're like, oh, learning all this, you have this guilt a little bit, you know, about these kids who, you know, you could have helped, but you, you didn't, you know, it's like, you wish you could go back and, and help them all. And I have their names. I have their faces. I have their struggles all in the back of my head. And there's this one that I think about often too. I remember doing this blending thing with her where you use shoulder, elbow, wrist, and we were going at, at, and I'm literally to the point where I'm saying the word and she still didn't know. And now now I'm like, okay, now I know, now I know it's, you know, the phonological and phonemic awareness. That's what's missing at that time. I'm like, I have no idea how to help you help her, you know? So it's just things like that, that it's like, you think, I still think about every day. Um, Call them the ones who got away. And there's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That I think that you, Shannon and I are on zoom with Heidi and we're just like nodding furiously because that, you know, you think, okay, I'm breaking it down. I'm trying to use multi-sensory stuff. We're tapping on our arm. Oh, what, what else is there to do? And, um, you know, I think that's the, the point where you're like, oh gosh, how do I get this learner to read? And, and what is the missing piece? And I think that's where teachers kind of go, okay, well, tomorrow's a new day. And sometimes you finally get them to that point and it's a new day and then it's brand new information for them all over again. <laughs> and oh, that's yeah. also a reality too. So um, I, I so appreciate how candidly you talk about, um, you know, those students that got away because that's what, that's what we're all about. We all have that guilt in the back of our mind and it's just like, it's kind of devastating to a point, but then at the same time, you're like, okay, but I have these other new kids in front of me. When you know better, you do better. And I think that's the point where so many people are really trying to push science of reading because we know it works. We know that it can help kids move along. We can move the needle. Um, Shannon often will say, you know, if a kid can't read, go back and check their segmenting and blending. And that's truly what it comes down to. Um, I realize I kind of left this as like an open-ended question. So if you're tapping with a child and you are really struggling and they can't do that blending and segmenting, there is actually more to do. And the secret is keep it more multi-sensory, add in some more manipulatives, keep practicing, add in additional practice turns, give them familiarity and confidence with it but keep at it and keep practicing. Don't move on till the next thing, to the next thing too quickly because they're going to keep falling further and further behind. So, And I think sometimes too, you might even need to go back to that phoneme isolation. And I think that's what I I think about with this child. I'm like, Oh, I I bet you that's what it was. Could she hear the beginning sound? If I said the word cat, could she say, probably not. And so um, that's probably, she probably wasn't even ready for that blending and segmenting yet. And so, um, and I in love your that. example, she was looking at the letters, right. And trying to blend that CBC word. Well, yes, we looked at the letters first and then we were just away from, we're like, okay, let's put the book away. And then we were just doing it. And then, um, and, and literally I got to the point I remember, or I was like, cat, cat and she still couldn't hear that and so it was just very confusing for her and I think we just needed to step back at that point you know and go back to either the lower level phonological skills actually is where I think um, we could have even gone back to and then that phoneme isolation Um, but just knowing any of that could have at least helped me you know, a little bit, whether she, you know, went on to need further help with, you know, reading intervention or not. Um, I at least could have provided that quality tier one, if I had known. I I know what you're saying. I think that I'm going to break it down even a little bit more specifically for parents. If you are a parent and you're going through and reading a book at night and the word is dog, and you know, you're hoping your kid's gonna sound it out and they can't, or you have heard your teacher say that they need to really work on their blending um, or the opposite segmenting. So blending is being able to have the sound presented to you, dog, and then they put it together. Segmenting is where kids then would, you would say dog, now you break it into pieces and the child would then say dog. Um, so with that point, you might want to play some games in the car with them and say, can you guess the word I'm going to say? My word is 
brisk. It feels very outside. And the word is brisk. And you might want to say brisk and really do that. But then say, okay, I'm thinking of a word that rhymes with brisk. I'm going to change the first sound to what's my new word, frisk. And so all of these are phoneme manipulation. It's where you are trying to um, play with the sounds of words. And that's truly what we're talking about, playing with the sounds. You can play with the vowels. You can play with the beginning of words. You can play with the end of words. If you happen to speak a different language at home, you can still play with the sounds of words in their home language. So that's also really important. And Heidi, you do that so well on TikTok. Like I love when you're quizzing your son and your husband on phoneme manipulation and change the ending sound to this or change the beginning sound. What is the new word? Those are some of my favorites. I try to trick my husband all the time. (laughs) It's fun, you know, and that's the thing is like kids love phonemic awareness. And, um, so it's, it's a game. And like you said, Mary in the car on a walk, wherever we go, we're doing that. And yes, it's helpful to bring in those letters, but it's still beneficial to do it anywhere you are, you know, and work on those hearing those sounds. Okay. So besides phonemic awareness, like what else did you delve into as you started learning about science of reading those practices? Yeah. So then I started, um, following Kilpatrick a little bit more closely. And so that's when I became obsessed. I will go ahead and say, I am obsessed with word mapping, uh, phoneme graphing mapping, orthographic mapping, because after teaching first grade for nine years, sight words, and I know nobody can see me, but I'm doing quote quotes, <laughs> sight words, um, that has a whole new definition for me. Um, you know, in first grade, that's life. That's my, our whole life. The first thing you do when you go into a classroom is find your wall. If you have a new classroom, where is my word wall going to be? Because we have to memorize hundreds of words this year. And how are we going to do that? And so my centers revolved around memorizing those words, the word wall. I had um, everything for, for memorizing words. And so that was really the next thing that I dove into. Um, When I first heard the terms orthographic mapping, I will be honest, and I wanted nothing to do with it because that's too researcher, (laughs) research-ish for me. Um, I I was like, I don't know what that means and I don't care. Um, But once I learned about it, if you've been on my page at all, you know, I'm obsessed. And so, and just because, you know, going from that memorizing, uh, struggle. Um, and I know if you have parents listening, they can probably relate. I had one parent reach out to me that in first grade this year, her child is required to memorize. Um, I think it's a hundred words every nine weeks in first grade, 100. That's so that's like over 400 words for the whole year. I was like, did I, did I do my math? Right. And, and that was, uh, you know, decided upon by that grade level team to be able to get that child to the reading level that the school said they need to be at. And so I understand that struggle. I definitely do. Um, But, you know, when I found out there's a better way, (laughs) I just became obsessed with that. And then, you know, after that, I started looking into, um, you know, switching from level books to decodables and all those different, you know, things that um, when you come from a balanced literacy world, all of those things have like a stigma around them. You know, decodables have a stigma that, they're boring. They feel like not rigorous enough also. Yeah. And, and they're, they're going to deter kids from, from reading because they're too boring and they're, you know, whatever. And and you can't work on vocabulary and you can't work on comprehension. Like those are all the things I was literally taught about decodable books. And so, you know, after learning really what kids need to be successful readers, that's changed. (laughs) Definitely. So some of those changes I've made. I love it. That's great. Can we talk a little bit more about sight words and orthographic mapping? Because you are my new best bud when it comes to this. I'm super excited. I just purchased your new bundle pack with all of the orthographic mapping of all the sight words. I'm diving in tomorrow for my first day. But what I love so much is that you also have an assessment that goes with your scope and sequence because I'm working with a third grader. He is fairly able to. Um, read those words, not 
always with solid automaticity. A lot of times it's within context. So I'm excited to kind of go back with him on that. But I love your scope and sequence because what we're talking about now is finding commonalities between those words and really talking about the vowels and breaking words apart. So I'm going to kind of like zoom back out and talk about orthographic mapping because I too am this big David Kilpatrick fan, but I will say when I first was like really diving into orthographic mapping, I probably had to reread his section like three or four times to say like, huh, what, what does that mean? And one of the things that sticks with me, and maybe this will stick with some other adults is that um, if you are a U.S. resident, um, you probably are more culturally familiar with some acronyms like the NFL, the NHL, um, and uh, let's see, um, I don't know, let's even just say USA, like AS, USA, ASAP, all of those have some sort of meaning to you, but when you're reading or hearing them, they have this automatic meaning. So you're going to say, oh, NHL is the National Hockey League. That makes sense to me. It might not make sense necessarily to a person in Australia who doesn't follow that league, but your brain automatically categorizes those letters. You don't have to sound them out. You don't have to um, decode them in any special way because you've already categorized them. And that's how your brain maps that information. So as an adult, you already have that skill of doing it. But what we have to do is actually efficiently teach kids to do that specifically with sight words that are difficult to read. So that's sort of how I was able to wrap my brain around what this orthographic mapping is. But if you have a word that's a high frequency word, like the word said, because that's um, a good example, um, said has three phonemes. You really want the kids to understand ed. When they're hearing it, you want them to hear those sounds. When they're mapping it, you want them to know that the A and the I is something that you have to memorize by heart, right, Heidi? So um, that heart word is then a, a connection. It's a category that's within your brain. So you know when you see at the beginning of a word, A and I are going to be grouped together, and then the D is going to be the last sound at the end. So not only do I want my kids to be able to read that, I also want them to memorize it. So when they're writing it, they also know that that is what it looks like. It has meaning in their brain and they can also translate that to writing. Super complex, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I definitely, it's been something, um, you know, Heartward Magic from Really Great Reading is has also been very helpful. Um, their videos are great. So if there's any parents or teachers who are new watching some of those videos will help too. But, and people always ask me, what's the difference if they're memorizing that part, then they might as well just memorize the whole word. And, you know, that's, it's, it, it is different. It's very different because, um, you know, research shows that the brain doesn't store words based on visual memory. So we're not looking at the shape of the word. Um, and if we're memorizing words just based on the whole word, that's, that's not how our brains store words. And so um, knowing those sounds and, and mem remembering one little part is very different from memorizing a whole word. So because said like the, the S and the D are regular. It's just the, the, the middle it, that's irregular. Yeah. And can I say, um, you know, about the scope and sequence that I did was I was mind blown when I did that scope and sequence. And I did it because so many people were asking for something like that. And so I thought, oh, my gosh, this is a ton of work. I don't want to do this. But um, uh, you know, I wanted to do it, but I didn't want to do it. <laughs> and so I found 236 high frequency words and I put them, it, I sorted them by phonic skill. Uh, this took like a, a million times sorting uh, with a bunch of people editing. <laughs> and um, at the end of the day, 179, I think it is, uh, don't quote me on this, but it's like 179 completely regular and decodable when you put them with the phonics skill that they matched with and only like 52 hard words. So only 52. And though it can be even less if you teach the schwa or if you can wait to teach those words, but like the, I have it right in the beginning because the kids just see it so often. Um, but I think that's what happened is that we were trying to push kids into reading these books 
faster than we probably should have. And so that's where all these memorizing these words, oh, we need them to know these words so they can read these books, which I think is very silly. <laughs> we should really focus on those foundational skills first and not be pushing them to read so early. Um, but yeah, it was, it was wild to see so many words perfectly you know, decodable when you, they were put with a phonics skill. All those words I used to force kids to memorize. No, it's so great. I also like that you don't have just fry words um, in the exact same order. You use dolch words and fry words. And there was, and maybe the heart words too. I forget what other curriculum you used. Regardless, the words that you have are great. And I love um, if you are interested in the bundle as well, there's the slides. So those slides are already pre-made for you to teach with. Um, and then there's also amazing booklets that go along with it. It's a really great resource, Heidi. I just, I'm so excited to use it. And I've been looking for something like this for a while. And I really did need somebody to do the back research to to give me the good scope and sequence, especially because I'm doing this as a review for an older student. And so I think that this is going to be super helpful. It would be great for kindergarten, um, teachers as well, first grade, second grade teachers as well to use as regular tier one instruction. But if you are also a specialist and you need a way to review, I think this is an amazing resource. Thank you. I just, um, I just uh, had a lot of people asking for stuff for something like that. And um, having the words mapped out for them um, was something I wanted to do also because I get messages on a regular basis. How do you map this word? How do you map this word? So um, I figured doing that and putting that into the slides and also like teachers were having a hard time wrapping their head around like, well, how do I actually teach this? So just making those explicit slides, like just if you just follow the slides, you know, that's how you do it. Um, I, I just wanted to make it as easy as possible because, you know, like we talked about switching from balanced literacy and and switching from everything that you've ever known is a lot. And so I, I'm, I had not created anything um, for teaching in years. And then um, people kept asking for some things. And it's just like, I just want to make things like that transition easy. So that's my goal in anything that I create is just to make that transition from balanced literacy um, to the science-based practices as easy as possible, because I know it's hard. You're doing it, Heidi. You're, you're, you're meeting your mission. So we talked about, you know, the guilt that you felt about some of the readers that you didn't necessarily do the best practices with um, early on in your career. But let's, let's flip that where now you have changed some of your practices. And what's happened as you've started employing these new things, adding more phonemic awareness, adding the sound wall, adding this sound mapping, like what's happened with your readers? Yeah. So um, I'll just start by talking about my son. Um, So when I found out that my husband was right, (laughs) uh, we really started working on all the phonological and phonemic awareness um, skills with him. And um, by the end of preschool, his teacher assessed him. um, And this was never our intention. And I, I want to say this very clearly because I don't want anyone to get it mixed up that early literacy is not about getting your child to read in preschool at all. It is about laying that foundation. And that is all that we were trying to do, um, really. But he just caught on very fast. And um, when his teacher assessed him at the end of the year, he was reading um, at a third grade level. So his comprehension was a little bit lower, but he, he could and some of those words, you know, we were like, we didn't, you know, explicitly teach him to decode these, but he was figuring it out based on the sounds and having that really, really strong. I would say he's definitely um, has phonemic proficiency. Kilpatrick talks about the difference between awareness and proficiency. And so just to me, that was that sealed the deal. I'm like, this works. And I do also want to mention that I have an older daughter who's 19 now, and she she struggled to read. And at the time when she was younger, um, she started having struggles in third or fourth grade. I wasn't even teaching at that time yet. And so um, I had no idea how to help her. And um, 
I mean, if she would let me now, I know that, you know, you're never too old for phonemic awareness. I could help her out, but you know, she's got that teenage thing going on still, even though she's 19, almost out of her teen years, but she doesn't want to hear it. Um, and so, you know, seeing that difference with the kids, you know, I, I have that guilt for my own child, you know, where I could have helped you if I had known. And, um, just seeing the, I say like miracles that it worked with my son. I mean, it was just like, I always say it's like magic, but it's science because just seeing that, um, you know, him grow from there. And then with my students too, I, I will say, you know, teaching at a virtual school, I um, don't have as much time with my kids as I did in the in a physical classroom. Um, but I do still help those struggling readers. And it's, it's so fun to do these skills and work on these skills with these kids and know that this is exactly what they need. And then also sharing that with the parents because nobody, you know, talks, a lot of us just weren't, weren't, um, you know, didn't know about the science and, and a lot of parents didn't know about the science. And so when they learn, um, you know, about phonological and phonemic awareness and all those things that are important that we are never taught, <laughs> they also feel empowered to help their child learn to read and get that foundation for reading. And it's, you know, I, that's the one thing I love about phonological and phonemic awareness is that you can, you don't need uh, expensive materials to do it, you know? And so you can really do it anywhere, anytime with anything and um, really give your child that foundation. So I've seen tremendous growth with having the knowledge that I have now. It's so rewarding when you, when you see that, especially with your own child. I think I have, I have a daughter that's in a similar boat now too, and she has just taken off. It is so exciting. Like, uh, it's, it brings me so much joy. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of your favorite materials that you use though, because I love how you often post and share some of the things that you're doing. Um, and those manipulatives can be really helpful for teachers too. So I know you use a lot of games some magnets for um, blending, right? But just jump in and tell us what some of your favorites are. Yeah, so my newest favorite, um, my husband, oh, I thought I had him up here, but um, my husband is a national letters trainer now. <laughs> we both learned a lot and come a long way, yes. <laughs> and so um, one thing he got was those, their magnet chips with a magnet wand. And so the child will lay the chips down for each sound of the word and then use the magnet wand and it like lifts up the magnet chips and it's so much fun. Um, but before we had that, I mean, we were just using any, uh, I would use toys. My son, you know, if he's playing with Hot Wheels, we're going to put Hot Wheels out there and we're going to use our Hot Wheels for, um, you know, blending and segmenting. Um, and then also I love the um, colored chips from Really Great Reading. Um, they have a whiteboard, like a long skinny whiteboard, and then they just have color magnet tiles um, that we love to use for uh, phonemic awareness as well. I love those. Also the um, free letter tile free play on the really great reading site is fun too. If you wanted to use like a tablet or computer, it's the same tiles, just digital. I pulled out those tiles for my fifth grader this week and he just trans he has dyslexia and he just moved to our school from a different school district last year. And I pulled out those and I said, you know, I'd like to use these to play with some sounds and do these. He goes, I had these in my old school. I love these. I'm so glad that you have them. It was, it was really cool. Then he yeah. felt like, oh, I've got my tool. And anything, I, I'm a fan of anything the kids are interested in. If you can do it, I know it's really hard in a classroom of 26 plus students, um, you know, but um, most of the kids, you know, the fidget poppers, um, Brittany from Happy Little Hearts started that whole thing with the fidget poppers. But I mean, any fidget toys work, any toys that your kids already have, anything, you know, that's the beauty I think of phonemic awareness is you can really just use anything. So I love picture cards too. Like I have this set from words their way and really it's set for an initial isolation, um, initial sound isolation sort, but I use them for everything. Like I will group them, you know, and ask the students to do a final sound sort or a middle sound sort, or I even pulled some and did, you know, two different vowel team sorts, even though they were like, you know, a lot of them had short vowels, but other ones had other vowel sounds. And so I can kind of take those, 
picture cards and do a lot of different things with them. Yeah, I'm super into it. I love um, you had a post too about some of your favorite games like the Spelligator or um, I love Spelligator. I also love um, the, uh, it's the one where you put the, um, you push it down and the little yellow sight word pops out and you can have a race with two people. Zingo. Zingo. It's like right next to me, of course. Um, yeah. Zingo is such a fun one for my kids too. And then, okay, there's one, and I wish I would have done my research beforehand. I might link to it, but I used to have this game in my classroom where you do a comprehension read, and then you match the um, little tiles on a, like, it's like a matrix of like eight, I yeah. think, or nine or, or 10 maybe. And then it turns over and you can self-check a picture. I think that's a really great one. And there were lots of phonics skills that they had with that one. Whatever that is, I'm going to link to it because it was one that I had in my classroom. I'm like, oh, I love that one. That was really great. Yeah, that's a smart tray from junior learning. And when I was actually looking for resources, it was very hard to find resources. And then I found junior learning. And um, so I do partner with them often because I think that their resources are so valuable. And those are the smart trays. And then, like you said, they have different games that go with and Spelligator. I think if you only get one thing from junior learning and whatever grade you teach, my, me and my husband may or may not play Spelligator with out my son. Uh, <laughs> um, no, but it's a very, um, that one is so great. But junior learning, most of the things they have on there are aligned with the science and the research and they have great, great, great items, games to play. If you're looking to, that's another thing why I share those things like that, because centers, you know, a lot of teachers are like, well, now what do I do for centers? And I have a whole basement full of centers that I wouldn't use anymore. And so it's like, well, what can I use or how can I change what I had, you know, and make it work now? Um, and so that's, that's the goal. That's the goal. You got it. Oh, it's, it's so great. I love following you on there. It's so we have alluded to this and gone around and around the topic of just what is science of reading, but I'm going to take a second and define it in a you know, more formal fashion. And then I want to know how you would define it. So I found ISME, their definition is the science of reading is a comprehensive body of research that encompasses years of scientific knowledge, spans across many languages, and shares the contributions of experts from relevant disciplines, such as education, special education, literacy, psychology, neurology, and more. And then I also found Yale's guy, David Kilpatrick, <laughs> in a much more succinct way said, we teach reading in different ways, but students learn to read proficiently in just one way. So Heidi, how would you define science of reading? So do you see why I like Kilpatrick now? <laughs> um, no, but IMSC is great. And their, their um, definition seems to match really well with what the Reading League came out with, um, the defining um, moment, or they have a website, what is the science of reading, where they define it for you. Um, and it's great to know all of that. But if somebody asks me, it's, it, I'm going to say it's really the science. It's literally the science of how we learn to read. And it's the research behind how we learn to read. And a lot of it is settled science too. So I think that's important to know because science is always changing and things can change and we can find better ways to do what we're doing. But a lot of uh, the research and science that goes along with how we learn to read um, has been settled or is settled. So uh, um, in a book club this summer, I read Marilyn Yeager Adams book beginning to read and she wrote that in the 80s and we were saying in the group like what you said like why aren't we talking about this <laughs> like so many decades past you know and she was mentioning all this stuff in her book when she was going through the research and summarizing it it's so funny because I listened to uh recently to a podcast uh with Linnea Airy and um I think why is because back then you know, they were the underdogs and they were the ones fighting against the, you know, the whole language um, people and whole language was taking over. And at least that's what Ari talked about a little bit. And she's like, you know, they looked at my stuff and was 
threw it away. And, you know, they're like, I don't want to read this and this is not true. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's not new. That's another thing I like to say about the science is that it's not new. Um, people will comment and say, why do you think this is so new? And um, I don't, it is new to me. Yes. And it's new to a lot of us, a lot of teachers and a lot of parents. But I, I do know that it's not new. It's been around for a long time. It's been studied for a long time. And I also like to say that it's not a, a program or a curriculum or a one size fits all approach. Um, because I think that gets misconstrued. And I think we get into the oh, balanced literacy versus structured literacy or versus the science. And, and, and that, that to me is not even a thing. Um, we have to follow the science. We have to follow the research. This is this has shown us exactly, like Kilpatrick said, how how we learn to read, and so we have to follow it. Yeah, I really like that too. I think that um, when you're talking about um, you know students and and individuals, like you can kind of compare it to medicine too. Like you have prescriptions for things. It's it's clearly lined out. There's science that says, that, okay, this is what you do when this problem occurs. That doesn't mean that everybody needs the exact same um, dose of all of it. Like there are some kids that are going to need more practice and more repetition than others. They're going to have, um, you know, deficits in some areas and not other areas, but um, we do actually know what to do with it now. <laughs> and you might have to dig down um, and really reach out to professional organizations and professional groups and even create your own professional learning communities so that you can, um, you know, once you know better, you do better. And we are of the mindset that you need to work smarter, not harder. We're already working extremely hard. So um, awesome. Yeah, this is great. Uh, I think I, that that like lends well to the t-shirt that Mary is wearing, which says literacy and justice for all. And so Heidi, tell us about that because now, you know, your belief and your passion about this has led you to create, you know, a really cool movement organization. Tell us about what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I first learned about the science, I, you know, have, there's all these emotions. Um, somebody should write this up like that. Maybe it's the stages of grief or something that you go through where you're angry and then you're sad and then you're guilty. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but once again, we're all... like seriously nodding. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's these stages and, and you continue them. I mean, they, they have not subsided for me at all. And I get angry a lot. And that anger has really fueled like me to do what I'm doing. Um, and I will say one thing I never in a million years thought that I would be on Instagram or TikTok talking about the science of reading. I, um, I used to hate phonics, um, because now I, now I know I didn't understand it. I was never taught these things and I was never really taught in a way that made sense either. So, um, you know, and that's our students too, right? They, they start to hate things that they don't get. And so I totally, you know, resonate with that. And um, I was angry about, um, you know, no one telling me. I said it so many times, why didn't anyone tell me? I should have known about this. And, and then I started thinking about my kids and then I realized, you know, after research and time, um, this is a problem. <laughs> and this is, a, uh, you know, I think it's a worldwide problem, but I'm specifically talking in the United States. Um, our literacy statistics are awful and they don't have to be. And, you know, having the programs that I had at my school that I know um, were rooted in money and um, these people writing these curriculums, um, not at all aligned to the science and completely uh, failing our kids, completely failing our kids. That's what I saw. That's my experience. And after learning about the science, I saw that very clearly. Um, and so that's why I say literacy and justice for all. I saw some people, you know, when I first started saying literacy for all, and then it just kept in my head, literacy and justice for all. It did not, it like every time, like I was thinking about something, like it just kept popping in my head. I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but it was just kept, I just kept saying literacy and justice for all over and over in my head. 
And so I looked around and at, no one had said that. So I was like, well, I'm going to kind of start saying that because I really, truly believe that literacy is a social justice issue because literacy is a key to everything. I mean, we're failing our kids if we don't teach them how to read because they need to know how to read for everything in their life, you know, when they grow up. And we all know about the school to prison pipeline. Um, you know, all these things are very real. And um, I do definitely think that our literacy statistics do not have to be what they are. I fully 100% believe that we can change the statistics if we follow the science. And I, I've been putting that kind of at the end of all my posts on Instagram lately, because like, come on, if we can work together, if we can do this, we can change. 95% of kids have the cognitive capacity to learn to read. And can you imagine what our statistics would look like then or what our, you know, our country would be like if we were giving that to all of our kids? And I, I just truly feel like a lot of the things out there right now are failing our kids. And I feel like it's a, it's a money thing. And so this is where the whole <laughs> literacy and justice for all I could go on and on <laughs> very passionate about it. But that's that's where that stems from. I'm You've been educating with- teachers, right, through through your literacy and justice for all. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I wanted to start a nonprofit, but, um, (laughs) I, this, uh, you know, this whole business or nonprofit thing is, is way more complicated. I met with somebody and they're like, no, you can't do that. Cause, um, you can't, I would have to get donations. I don't know. It's this big whole thing. Um, and selling t-shirts is not a way to, for a nonprofit to run apparently. So, so what I, I am still, I am still carrying out my mission. I'm just not a nonprofit. Um, so the money, the proceeds from the t-shirts do go back into helping educate teachers. So I've sent 21 teachers through training at the reading teachers, top 10 tools. And then I'm doing, um, weekly giveaways in my Instagram stories, um, because I just really want to get these materials into people's hands. And hopefully I'll be able to do another cohort of teachers going to the reading teachers, top 10 tools, Dr. Deb has been great um, in, you know, having me enroll them, but I'm meeting with them once a month too. So they're, I, they're go, going through the training for six months and then I meet with them once a month, just, you know, so I'm not leaving them high and dry. And so I'm hoping to, you know, when they're done in November, you know, send some more teachers as um, through that as well. Um, so I'm trying to give back every way that I can and give resources uh, you know, get resources and training. I do believe that teacher training is is key, is number one. And so that's why I also spend a lot of time on the social media, creating those posts and, and creating those videos to educate, you know, because that is a free platform and it, it's accessible. And that's what I want to have for teachers. Right. Because when you reach the teachers, then you reach the readers yes. that they're working with. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly. Why we started a podcast. Yes. Yep, so that's the goal. Um, what would you say to teachers that maybe were where you were a few years ago? Um, and that is exactly who I try to reach. Um, I, I really want to be um, as accessible as possible to those teachers who are still immersed in that balanced literacy world. And it wasn't that long ago, you know, I was talking earlier. I'm like, it was when the pandemic hit. That's when I first started learning. I mean, that it was last year. If you think about it. And so I am, I'm still new. I am still learning and I want people to know that's okay. And that it's a journey. And, um, I always try to say to give yourself grace. Um, and you know, social media is a very powerful tool, but it's also, you know, it has its negative things. So if you're looking to learn more about the science and you're feeling, you know, kind of defeated or, you know, feeling that you, can't ask questions somewhere or something like that, then you're in the wrong place. So I really want, you know, your podcast too. And, you know, just like my page to be a place where teachers can come and get information and ask any old questions. You know, I ask questions all the time when I'm learning. And I always say this to people, I may have never learned if it hadn't been for my husband, because I could ask him any dumb question I didn't care what he thought, but you know, if I'm in a PD or something, or if I'm listening to, you know, if I'm at a Kilpatrick seminar, I'm definitely not going to raise my hand and ask a a question. You know, there is that fear. And so, um, I was able, uh, lucky enough to have my husband to say, you know, ask all the dumb questions too, but I do want teachers to know that it's 
it is a process of unlearning. That's become one of my other new favorite terms, um, unlearning everything that we've known. And that's hard to think about all the work, all the money you've spent on everything you have in your classroom and all the years that you've been doing what you're doing. And to know that's wrong is hard. That's hard to swallow. And so I just want teachers to know like that I was there um, and I understand that. And um, I just want them to know that there are places you can go where you won't be judged. And, you know, it's a process. Take one little step at a time. You don't have to change everything all at once, you know, but really be open to hearing about the science and hearing about the research and, you know, changing even if it's one thing at a time. I love that you said that step by step, because that's what I was thinking, like, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I think that that's exactly right. And wherever you start, you know, I think anytime you find a problem or find something that's challenging, you got to find your tribe in it. And, um, you know, there are lots of people and I'd love also that you said, if you don't feel comfortable asking questions in that environment, then you're probably in the wrong environment. Um, I think that there are some really great Facebook pages. Sometimes we were sort of talking that Facebook pages and, and comments and reviews can get a bit contentious at times, um, but they're almost always rooted in some sort of a question or a misunderstanding. And so I think like un taking that piece and unpacking it a little bit, you know, um, I find that people who are you know, clinging on to balanced literacy are frustrated and they don't feel like they have time or patience to learn a new task. Understandable. Um, people who are all in for, you know, science of reading and say, okay, all I'm going to do now is focus on phonics instruction and making sure I teach phonemic awareness. Well, that's not full reading instruction either. We have to figure out what are the most important pieces. So that's what this season is going to bring. So we really very much appreciate your time and your expertise in this and your candidness too, because I think that um, that goes a really long way too of um, letting people know that, you know, it's okay to be a bit vulnerable. It's okay to ask the questions. It's okay to keep researching. So thank you so much for joining us um, and having this chat with us. Can you thank tell you. our listeners where we can find you? Yeah. Um, so Instagram is dropping knowledge with Heidi. Um, there is no G on the drop in. <laughs> A lot of people will search that. Um, and then TikTok is learning with Heidi. And I really just stick to those two platforms. I may, you know, I do have a Facebook page and a Twitter, but I really am not on there very much. So most of my content um, is on Instagram and TikTok. And then I do my giveaways on Instagram and I do those every week in my stories. You don't have to follow, you don't have to do anything. You can just enter by doing a little swipe in the stories. I want to make it as easy and as accessible for people as I can. Um, and so, um, and then my website, Literacy and Justice for All, which I'm still learning all about this. I have a friend helping me with the website, but you know, all this is very new to me. I just, I wanted, actually created the website so that parents have a place to get my resources because they don't have teachers pay teachers. And so that's, that was the whole goal in creating the website. Um, but um, yeah, there's some information and things like that there too. So, and then when I do the scholarships, the teacher scholarships, the applications and everything are open on that page. We'll be sure to link all of those in our show notes. And then also in our show notes, we have um, some of the things that Heidi's already mentioned earlier about the reading leagues, you know, guide, what is science of reading? Um, also really great reading came up with one. Um, we've found a couple of interviews that you can watch where, you know, some of the experts that Heidi was talking about where they define it for you and describe those practices. So be sure and check out our show notes. And Heidi, it's just been so wonderful. You are a good fit here in the Reading Teachers Lounge. I wish I could go play Spelligator with you and your husband. That sounds really fun. <laughs> we'll have to do that sometime after after coronavirus. We'll get together and uh, we can all play Spelligator. That'd be fun. <laughs> Thanks so much. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. And yeah, you were a perfect fit in the Reading Teachers Lounge. We loved having you. Thanks. Hey, teachers. I wanted to take a time out to tell you about something that I've used and loved over the last year. They're called Daily Harvest. Like me, you might have seen their ads on Instagram. That's how I discovered them. 
I chose them last year because I needed quick and nourishing foods with my busy teacher schedule and also healing from my brain injury to make sure that I got good nourishing food quickly. I've been ordering once a month now for over the last year, and I just love their smoothies, oat bowls, and flatbreads. They also have treats like bites. Um, I get the ones that taste like chocolate chip cookie dough. They have ice cream scoops. I love the salted caramel. And then there's a special chaga and chocolate latte that's hot chocolate with um, reishi and chaga mushrooms that really helps me calm down in the afternoon. I will prepare the smoothies and oat bowls to take with me to school in the mornings, and then I will bring the soups and harvest bowls that they offer to school with me and heat them up in my Hot Logic mini oven in my room and so that they are hot and ready for me by lunchtime. I love that they add vegetables in everything that they serve, even things like smoothies that you think would only have fruit have vegetables in them, and so does the ice cream. My favorites are the carrot and cinnamon smoothie, which tastes like carrot cake, the squash and chai oat bowl, which tastes like pumpkin spice bread, pear and arugula flatbread, and the lentil and tomato harvest bowl. Those are always in every order that I get from them. Check them out at the referral link in our show notes to get $35 off your first box. Or if you want to DM us at Instagram, Facebook, or email us at readingteacherslounge at gmail.com, we'd be happy to send you the savings code link. I love that they have an easy-to-use app where you can change your selections or pause shipments. I'm never caught by surprise when an order is coming. Because of that, they email you regularly as well. I also love that their packaging, most of it is recyclable or compostable, so I'm not wasting a lot of materials. Try Davia Harvest. I promise your body will thank you.